Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. I am Giles Alderson, director of the Dare feature film and World of Darkness feature documentary. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. So joining me today is a very special guest. He's a screenwriter, a graphic novelist, an author, a conservationist. He wrote Judge Dredd, Freddy vs. Jason, Forever Man for Paramount. He worked on many TV shows for Sci-Fi, Netflix, ITV and Amazon. He wrote and exec produced Legendary, starring Scott Adkins and Dolph Lundgren. His latest films, Crowhurst, directed by Simon Rumley and Supervise, starring Tom Berenger and Bo Bridges, directed by Steve Barron, will be out next year. Welcome to the show, Andy Briggs. Hi Giles, nice to be here. Well, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. <laughs> we'll uh, see. We'll, we will see. We will see. Today we're talking about screenwriting, how it works, how you get shit made, how you move forward from just sitting in your room writing a script to actually making you know, a blockbuster film. We're at the Screenwriters Festival, the London Screenwriters Festival. Um, both me and you are doing talks here. We are indeed. We are indeed. Yours is coming up. Mine's tomorrow, so I've got a bit more time to prepare. Um, a Screenwriters Festival is amazing. It's just yeah. so cool. So many cool people talking about screenwriting and how they get made. It's a, it's a great ambience here. It's mm. a good place to come and just chill out and meet like minds. Yes. And panic together. I lo- panic together yeah there's a lot of that yeah. there's a lot of that so let's let's start off from the beginning how did you start in this business as a a screenwriter as a producer what, what was your beginning why become a screenwriter why become a screenwriter um i was a teacher for a number of years and i was awful at that so i thought hey how hard can it be um i no, i always wanted to write i always wanted to tell stories in some form Mm. Uh, whether it's going to be a book or a comic or a film, I didn't know at the time. I was lucky enough that my talented older brother, Peter, when I was still in college, wrote a spec script which sold, and that was Alien versus Predator. And then, of course, that kind of propelled him up the ranks. And being the younger brother, it's exactly what I wanted to do because you know Pete's Pete's aim is to direct. He's going to do some fantastic movies coming up. Great. Uh, so it was kind of a mix of fortune and a mix of never giving up. Always facing the peril and thinking, sod it, I'm just going to move ahead. Were you writing scripts at the time your brother was? Yeah, well, I was, I was still in college, so mm. I was still you know, attempting to do A-levels. What were you doing? Attempting to what go were... to film school. I was doing, well, I started off doing A-level physics mm. and then decided to do media studies and communications. And because you thought I took, you'd get I took the grade. video cameras out and we just, we just made shit all over the college, which, yeah. was, which was much more fun and mm. much more uh, useful in the end than A-level physics would ever be for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not Brian Cox, so yeah, it's, no. it's a life choice. Yeah, the actor um, or the... Uh, either. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly, I'm neither of them. Um, and as as brothers, we've always wanted to do the same thing, or more or less the same thing. That's been great. It's been a useful learning curve for us both. Mm. He was never... He didn't dissuade you from doing it because he was doing it. He we, we were just two film geeks. Okay. And and he was my older brother. So, of course, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd follow along and go, yeah, that's so cool. But then I actually love the business mm. as well. So it's it wasn't just... Me, you know, thinking, hey, I'll do what my older brother wants to do. Yeah. Um, it, but it's been a passion since I re- even remember being, uh, you know, kind of like three foot high in uh, infant school, putting up a little notice to make a film, even though I, wow. I couldn't afford Super 8 film. I just had an empty camera. <laughs> So, <laughs> Did you actually pretend to film with it? Though? Oh, yeah, all the really? time. Yeah. You should see my Lego masterpieces, all the animations. I, I, I went through the whole animation process with a still camera. And my figures, and no film in the camera. That's 
And w- wow. <laughs> yeah, insane, right? No one ever questioned you. No one ever said. Well, maybe maybe a few child psychologists, but other than that, no. no. <laughs> That's a great way to start. You never ever get to see it just in your imagination. Only in my imagination. How good it was. And the mess on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> so... You're, you're at college, you're doing A-levels and you're now doing media studies and you go, do you know what? I actually want to make this into a career. How did that happen? Well, this was in the kind of old black and white days when there was very few good films. Well, life courses. was in black and white. Yeah, the yes. whole life was in black and white. And we had three <laughs> channels and well, it wasn't that long ago. And there were no kind of good film courses. In fact, there were very few film courses nationwide. So there was only the private film schools, which I could not afford to go to. Mm. Um, Tried to get a grant, a bursary, failed. So essentially after failing that, my life plan was mass unemployment and I'd have to do something about it. It luckily tied in with the sale of Alien vs. Predator. Me and my brother started to work together on a number of things from, uh, you know, Freddy vs. Jason, etc., Judge Dredd, which was a terrific... I mean, that's a life experience alone. It's it, it's mind-blowing how this happened. Talk to me about how this actually happened. How it actually happened? Well, it, it, it's, it's like everything else. You you pitch for the project. Uh, luckily, from Alien vs. Predator, my brother got a fantastic agent, so yes. I kind of tagged along with that. Mm-hmm. But then you get the pitches, you get the offers. Do you want to pitch for this, for X, for Y, for Z? And you go in, you do your pitch, you don't hear anything back, you don't get the job, and you go through this whole process and then occasionally they pop up and hey you've got the job and you're thinking how <laughs> how did i get that one but not the other one mm. uh, and so it, it it's a numbers game the more you pitch the more uh the, the better you get and the, the better chances you have essentially mm. that's how it happened and of course you've got to have the good ideas to back that up of but, course you have but all your ideas are good ideas okay <laughs> every single one of every mine. single one it's just other people think the crap yeah yeah <laughs> So he wrote a spec script for Alien vs. Predator. How did he get that out? How did he get the agent? How did it happen? Uh, pure luck. It was uh, essentially, it was it was such a good script that when he sent her off to William Morris, they couldn't say no. That's, and that was it. And then Fox a, couldn't say no. That's a lesson for everyone, isn't it? Write a good script, good enough that they can't say no. Yeah. And it's such, it sounds so easy. It sounds but, so but easy. It's, it, it's not. It's, it's just, really not. It, it was... Uh, in that case, it was a matter of talent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's a great start for you. I mean, wow. Okay, now you, you, you're working with your brother, and you pitch on a few jobs, and you get Freddy versus Jason, you get Judge Dredd. Which one came first? Uh, it was Judge Dredd and then Freddy versus Jason. Okay, so... So this was Judge Dredd pre-Stallone. Stallone wasn't even cast in it. This was... I always remember, this was the Judge Death storyline. So for any 2000 AD fans out there... Judge Death is the one everyone wants to see. That's that's the one everybody wants. And I remember at the end of the whole cycle, when, when essentially you get fired or pushed off or shown the door, I remember the classic line was, this is so good, we're going to do this as the sequel. Which kind of summed up Hollywood in my whole mm. mind, because then the first film bombed. And, and there you go. <laughs> yeah. That best line never happened. It exactly. never got that far. Yeah. It's still it's still wonderfully mind-blowing, and there's going to be so many people listening going, right, how do I do that? What, what did you... So you write the pitch for it. Well, uh, to, to achieve all that, I mean, mm. the, very, the starting blocks to achieve that, you need an agent, you just can't go in blind. So to get an agent, any agent, I mean, my own agent now, any agent, you need to have, uh, as a writer, a damn good writing sample. And where if you want to change it if you've got one you want to change agents they're still going to look at your writing they're not Mm. going to look necessarily at your credits they're going to say what's the next script i can take out the door and they want a script to sell they don't want a script that's just a good writing sample they need to sell it it Mm. might be beautifully written but if you've just written twilight 
You know, um, or a variant on Twilight. They can't sell that. Moon you know, so it's useless. <laughs> so um, you've also got to be ahead in the game with where you, what you think the market is looking for, which mm. is an impossible task. Mm. But essentially, just don't write the f- last film you've seen. Yes. It's a guessing game, right? <laughs> I mean, a, it is a guessing game. You never know when zombies are going to come back in fashion or vampires are going to come back in fashion. Yeah. You just don't know. Yeah. So have one ready, right? Always, always useful to have one ready. Mm. Always have a few kind of spurs in the <laughs> in, in the bank, just in case. Just in case. Yeah. So you get the pitch for um, Freddy versus Jason, uh, Judge Dredd. Let's go with that one first for Judge Dredd. How do you then go? Um, first of all, you obviously go. Oh my god, how are we going to do this? But then, what, no, not really. Well, actually, yeah, that's, that's interesting. In, in in both cases, it wasn't. Oh my god, how are we going to do this? Mm. It was just a total freak out of joy. Yes, it was because uh, we're fanboys. I mean, in particular. Uh, the one that's freshest in my memory is Freddy vs. Jason, uh-huh. which was fantastic because we just got to sort of sit down, watch every film back to back, read everything we could, and, and we kind of fanboyed out to try and see how we could connect everything. So there was never a moment of, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? It was, and what I think all good writing should be, it was actually a passage of joy all the way through thinking, we love this, this is great. And there wasn't really any point when we were kind of uh, trying to rip it apart or rip each other apart thinking this is, you know, obviously we think this scene's terrible, we'll rewrite it. But as a project as, as a whole, you've got to have, and I think this is really important, you've got to have a burning enthusiasm mm-hmm. for what you're doing. If you're just doing it for the money, if you're just doing it for the next credit, yes. it's going to be awful. Yes. Uh, you can see some films that make it through and it's like, well, that's, that's written for the money. Somebody yeah. had a tax bill they needed to pay. Yeah. But if you're passionate, if you're passionate, really so, passionate and the fanboys like you were, yeah, you stepped that up. That really and helped. And, and with both projects, but I mean, particularly with Freddy vs. Jason, it was just so much fun that it was, it was just an effortless process of, uh, of joy, of working together, of having a great time, of really appreciating the material. That is something I've tried to keep through everything I've, I've done subsequently is just don't do a project just because they're waving a paycheck, mm. although that's very nice. Uh, but also do it because you genuinely think you can do something fun with it. That's great advice. Really good advice. How do you sit down and do it then? Do you map it out scene by scene first? Talk us through your process. Well, the process, I guess, is something you know, it's personal to each person. So I know some writers who really have to map everything out with cards before they even do a pitch, which I now find quite ridiculous. Because a pitch has to be something where I'm trying to persuade you as a producer to buy into. Mm. And the best way I can persuade you to buy into my idea is by using your own ideas. So when I pitch, I pitch as thoroughly as I can with uh, some character arcs and just one or two beats, maybe a major scene. But I'll leave deliberately leave enough holes in there. So when you sit back thinking about it, you could say, yeah, but, you know, could the woman be from, uh, you know, from Pluto? And I'll go, hey, it's a great idea. And now suddenly it's a little bit harder for you to reject that idea, a little bit harder because part of it's yours. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of a psychological game, but actually you want to build up a treatment that they love, mm-hmm. but also they're invested in. You're not just giving it to them complete. And I've noticed when I used to give complete, well-thought-out treatments, I'd spent months, well, months probably why I didn't get the job, weeks uh, planning (laughs) out from A to B with all the arcs, that all the jobs I never got. If I gave a kind of 15-page treatment, I wouldn't get that job. 
In fact, in fact, it happened this morning. I got so carried away on a project. I delivered this kind of 15-page, well-thought-out treatment because yes. I love the project. I got the email this morning going, ah, we're going to take a different approach. Wow. I know, I know if I were to just give them four or five pages with holes everywhere, I'd be on the next call. That's so interesting. You've just got to be invested. I mean, not me as a writer, mm. but if you're my producer or my development guy, I've got to persuade you. He, he's I, got I, need, me. I need to get your brain into the material. Yes, as well. so therefore he wants to pitch it more to his bosses yes. because he's yeah he's invested. So a, a development guy once told me, uh, yeah, we were in. Uh, I remember uh, sitting in his office on the Disney lot, which is a beautiful lot, and he said, you know, after this. I essentially walk down this corridor to my boss's office and repeat everything you've just said. <laughs> so the more uh, the more they can remember, the better, and they're more likely to remember it if some of their ideas are incorporated. Of course. In. And that sounds like a bit of a hacky thing to do, no, but actually no. that's life. It's it's just the way. Well, it happens in business, right? It happens in everything. All the time. Yeah. All the time. And especially with verbal pitches, you have to remember uh, that half the time they'll embellish it so it's not quite what you've pitched. Mm-hmm. You'll still get the job. And then when you write the treatment, you have to remember if you've not given them any written material, they won't remember the pitch very well. They'll just remember you were cool and they like the pitch. So you can actually change the pitch, uh, the the, the written treatment more to what you want. Yes. Ah, and maybe a couple of their one. Oh yeah, always always try and incorporate. I mean, because it's a collaborative process. If if you're you're the rare auteur who can make it work, wonderful for you. Mm. I'm not. (laughs) It's a collaborative process. And you've got to, in this stage, bring the development people in, bring the producer in and say, I like that, or actually that's not very good, but this is better. How about this? And have a proper conversation. Not not be afraid of saying, I really don't like that, but give them another suggestion. Rather than say, that's crap. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. back it up with, I don't like that, but how about yes. this? And yeah. they'll go, oh. They might see an element of their own, what they were trying to get out of their heads. It's similar to directing in a way. It's the same thing. If an actor comes up with an idea, you mm. go, I like it, but if you did that with this and we... And exactly. Yeah. Because if you're cutting them down all the time, it's... Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's all collaborative. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, that's the one thing this whole festival we're sitting in at the moment Mm. should be telling everybody is it's a collaborative process. Don't go in there arrogantly going, this is it. This is my, what I did. Yeah, this is my 15 pages of perfection because it's not, Mm. you know, leave enough holes for people to crawl in, fill up with their own thoughts and try and work with them. Let's jump back slightly to that moment where Judge Dredd is happening. Mm -hmm. You've written it. Now that moment where it goes from, you've been involved in that to suddenly it's happening and being filmed. That's a long process. So yes. in, in particular, I mean, with Judge Dredd and Freddy vs. Jason, we were kind of the middle conveyor belt of writers. Mm-hmm. So what generally happens, you go through various drafts and then, yeah, the, the phone doesn't ring and you're thinking, why isn't the phone ringing? And you find out we've moved in a slightly different direction. But then when you hear it's in production, you start to, you know, your ears start to move like a, you know, yes. a ferret, a meerkat, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I wonder what's going on. And then when you see the film, you know, a lot of it, you're thinking, oh, that's awful. And then you suddenly see your ideas are in there and yeah. you think that's oh, not as bad as i thought it was <laughs> so it, it does vary and particularly in in the hollywood conveyor belt i mean you know you've got two people credited for a film and that's the wga for you there's the other 10 who all their ideas are still in there they yes. just you know they're just not on on screen on the credits yeah so so that that can be good and it can also be disheartening 
And the reverse of that is when you do something, I work for the sci-fi channels, when you, you do something and your name's on there and you think, it wasn't as good as the script, was it? Oh. <laughs> but, you know, it's, again, a collaborative kind of yeah. process. You, you go roll with the punches, whether you're on screen or whether they've just taken whole elements and then somebody else gets the kudos for them. You go, okay, you've just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the best way to look at it. Otherwise, you'd be always disappointed. And you don't seem that way. You seem very sort of it, everything's good. It's like well, you've also got to remember that that lot. you know if if your name's not flashing on the screen, it's you know the, the somebody else who's the A lister who's mm. polished everything off. You, you've just got to remember everyone else in that process knew exactly what you've done. And you'll go back there a couple of years later and you'll still meet them and go, yeah, of course, we worked. let's do something else. So it's a, it's a relationship business. It's not a credit business. Mm-hmm. So when uh, Stallone was saying some of your lines and, and those scenes were happening, what, how did that fit? Was that a really nice moment? To, to be honest, it's usually a blur and you can't remember. I remember, again, in Freddy vs. Jason, there was, there was a whole kind of sequence which we'd, we'd done. And I didn't remember doing it. It wasn't until really? I watched it again, watched it on the cinema, thought. Mm. And then when, when I watched it on DVD, I, I thought, hold on. <laughs> hold on a moment. Went back to read the script. So because you work on so many other projects as mm. well that it all becomes a blur. Yes. Um, Some of your DNA is in there for sure. Oh, yeah, your DNA is in there. And you know, you know, and you can go back and read what you've done, and that's mm-hmm. absolutely fine. But because I'm kind of... The projects I'm working on now, some will happen next year, some won't happen at all, some will happen in five years' time. So I'm already that far ahead in my thinking. So what I did at the start of this year is a blur. <laughs> Never mind now. Yeah. <laughs> so you went from writing this to then you're writing your own stuff at the same time. Were you then pitching to the same studios, the same execs with the projects you were writing on your own? Well, what kind of happened there is my brother's directing that's what he's going to be doing Mm. and he really wants to focus on that and that was fantastic and i just enjoyed the whole writing side of things so uh i just got a different agents different representation uh so there was no kind of uh you know feeling of any kind of clash i could go off with a kind of fresh slate that was just a case of setting up meetings talking about different genres of writing so with freddie versus jason obviously it's kind of it's a horror Mm. How did you find doing that? Because with The Dare, it was a horror film, and me and Johnny Grant wrote that. It's more psychological horror. How we, did you find it? What's your um, take? I, that's interesting, because I, I, I grew up watching every type of films. I'd watch The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. sing along to it, and then I'd watch like a whole bunch of films. Do you go to these sing-along events down at the uh, Prince Charles? No, I'd probably be banned. <laughs> the moment, the moment I open up my lungs, they'll be, hey, you get out of here. Laurel and Hardy comedy, and then you know, The Wizard of Oz, and then a Hammer horror film. and So it was a big, varied mess of film education for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I know some people just love horror, some people will only go to Fright Fest, and they won't go to anything else, and that's, that's cool, that's fine. But I was kind of right across the range. Did that hinder you in any way, do you think? Y- yes and no. Okay. I, I that's a very good question because when you get representation, when you get um, managers or agents, they ideally want you in a little box so they can pull like Giles off the show. Oh, he's the horror writer. Mm-hmm. They won't put you up for anything else. You're just the horror writer. And it makes them, it makes it easier for them to sell you. Sure. I remember my, one of my managers in the States complaining, saying it's really difficult to sell you because I was writing a horror movie and then I'd give them a spec script, which is an action comedy and they're like, and 
truthfully, that kind of probably slowed me down quite a lot. But that was on the manager's front because uh, they're not I want, lazy is the wrong word, but well, they're pigeonhole people. Yeah, the pigeonhole it's exactly. for them to do to yeah. say, oh, it's the it's the guy here who wrote Freddy versus Jason. That's easy for, if, if exactly. suddenly you come up with the next Philadelphia. Yeah, they're going well. Exactly, that can't be any good. Yeah. So that's that that that's a problem. So I mean, ideally, you want to kind of be the the one note writer that everybody can sell, but then it'll hinder your career. Yes. So whereas it took me longer, I guess, uh, to get more footholds, mm. I got more varied footholds. So I can work on uh, everything from Freddy vs. Jason, which is a horror, or then a superhero film, and then a, a comedy. So I, I, I kind of I've got more range people will look at because of that. So in the long run. Even though it might be difficult at first, you're, if you're a writer who doesn't just want to do one genre, you're suggesting do write what you want. And yeah. in the long run, if your writing is good enough, you will get yeah. that. Yes, as long as you're yeah. aware, your representation will want to pigeonhole you. Yes. Which, again, is just the nature of the business. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of booked against that quite a lot. Okay. Uh, so I'd go, I mean, I had a, a spec script go out, which everyone loved. Nobody bought, but everyone loved it. And it got me so much work. And all the work it got me was because it generated meetings. And I went in, and then I'd pitch from this horror film. I'd pitch for an action film or something else. And suddenly they're like, oh, yeah, we like that idea. We just mm-hmm. like your writing. And it didn't become about we like the genre you write in. Yes. We just like your writing. That sounds great, doesn't it? When that, It must have been a nice it, moment when that happened. It just clicked. It's like, oh, yeah, good. It, 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 it was fun. But mm. it was difficult as well. I remember um, we did, you know, Freddy vs. Jason. The next thing we worked on was Forever Man, which is a superhero thing with Stan Lee, and that mm. was kind of geek out time. Did you meet Stan? Did yeah, you? well, oh, we, he was okay. our main point of contact. So, wow. so he's remained a friend to us both as well. He's a lovely guy. Then from the back of that, when I, you know, started to say, well, I'm going to write this, you're directing this, that's cool. The very first thing I got was Aquaman, but it was the animated Aquaman, mm-hmm. which ultimately got shelved. Right. But that was such a fantastic project. Now, I didn't get that because of the Stan Lee thing. I just got that from an actual horror spec. Wow. <laughs> it might have helped that, you know, yes. yeah. Um, but that different universe as yeah, well, okay. DC, Marvel. But um, it was from the horror spec, and they liked the writing, went in, did a pitch, got the job, sat there open mouth. Wow. That was a particularly funny time because uh, it was when Entourage was on, season one or two, I can't remember, and, and, and they were Aquaman. making Aquaman. Mm. I remember getting the call saying, you've, from my manager going, you've got Aquaman. I was in LA, and I rang my friends here in London and said, I'm doing Aquaman. They'd just watched Entourage, so yes. they're like, you're full of shit, Briggs, and hung up the phone. I'm like, <laughs> celebrating on my own. <laughs> yeah. I saw in Empire Magazine that, oh, yes, no, they are doing Aquaman, yeah. which would have been your one. I was like, this doesn't, this isn't real. Yeah. Are they doing it on the back of Entourage? I'm trying to be the guy in the middle of that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm receiving a paycheck for something. Something. <laughs> I have to write something about yeah. a swimming man fish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so how, the process of that, then writing that, what was... Did you go back into the comics and, and really work with that? Yeah, story? I mean, um, anyone out there who's familiar with the Marvel versus DC war will uh, know pretty quickly that Marvel have a coherent history of their characters. What DC did, every decade they'd reboot the character and in some cases completely change the name of the character, which they did with both The Flash and Aquaman. Mm. So we had to go in with the producer and decide which Aquaman we wanted to do and which variant we wanted to do. And to be honest, I can't remember where we went with it. Uh, I just remember uh, um, Black Manta was in there as the bad guy and it was a lot of fun. But that, again, because it was an established property like Dread, like uh, Freddy vs. Jason, it, it involved lots of research if you class researchers sitting around drinking beer and reading comics, which, which is fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It's almost like being a kid, but yet drinking beer. Yeah. Unless you did that in Liverpool as a kid. Of course. <laughs> so it's exactly the same <laughs> it's, thing. It's exactly the same without the hard drugs. <laughs> um, let's, let's move on a little bit because there's so much I could talk to you about. Well, let's first of all, let's talk about Legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Atkins starring. I really like Scott Atkins. I think he's great. Not just an action star. I think he's a great actor. I think he's really good. Mm. This was directed by Eric Styles. Yes. Um, talk to me about this. You, you wrote, this was from your idea. So, uh, yeah. So Le- legendary is one of those, uh, projects which just had a multiple life of its own. So essentially it's a movie about cryptozoology, the scientific study and search for creatures that don't exist, but they might. And every year, uh, there's about 16,000 new creatures genuinely found from bugs to insects, but they also find primates as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole range of, of creatures. And there's a whole lot uh, out there to still discover, which I, I find fascinating. I think it's fascinating, yeah. Wonderful. So I, I came up, I was actually in the middle of the Venezuelan jungle, yeah. going to Angel Falls, talking to the locals. And they're talking about things they've seen, which we couldn't match the in description, our, yeah, in our what, description what of anything. And we thought this is, I thought this is pretty cool. But that's, yeah, I've been to lots of jungles and mm-hmm. every culture's got exactly that. So anyway, so I came up with this and I was doing a whole bunch of sci-fi things and I... I said uh, I was originally developing it as a sci-fi, as a backdoor pilot was the original idea. And then I met, uh, well, I knew the producer, Chris Milburn, but we'd been out of touch for a little bit and we met up and I said, hey, I've got this idea. And he went, I love it. So Chris and I developed it uh, into Mm -hmm. a movie and we got sci-fi on board. Uh, we got a whole bunch of money in. And literally, I was I was you know, at home in pajamas calling friends in various companies and, you know, managed to get a whole bunch of money together. Yeah. And I realized I've just exec produced a movie in my pajamas. This is fantastic. Um, and we went through a whole bunch of processes where we were filming it uh, originally in Romania. Then we were filming it in Iowa. And in Iowa, the, the story that was related to me was our producer went in to sign the tax credit deal. He mm-hmm. went back to his hotel room, turned on the TV to see a live broadcast of the feds raiding the building he's oh just been gosh. in and arresting the guy for fraud. Wow. So our film was then caught up in this legal mess. And I, I remember Googling it and seeing newspapers in Iowa saying British film being given a massive payout for not filming in Iowa. Wow. Uh, that's because the legal settlement after several years, the producers managed to get some money back out. Um, and then China happened and everybody was starting to wake up to China but we was we still are the best recouping uh, independent British film. Wow, um, that's great! To, to actually, you know, made our money back. You know, mm-hmm. we were number five at the box office, which, considering below us at number six was Olympus Has Fallen, <laughs> and below them was Mortal Instruments. <laughs> Everything above us was Chinese, so we did really well. Then we had that whole experience of shooting it in China. Mm-hmm. How was we that? Had, that must have been. It was interesting. It was all very new, and we had to go through the SAFT process, which is the official government. Uh, granting of what you can and cannot have. And mm-hmm. um, we actually sailed through. We had to make a few tiny changes, but nothing major. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting, and it's just as easy and hard as filming in Wales okay. or Scotland. I mean, it's got its different problems. Mm-hmm. But we got this this film, right? And it was it was also shot in three D, which we I, I was kind of really against, but it was shot in three D. See, I'm a big fan of three D. I love three D, but not for my film. Right? <laughs> Did you not write it for three D? No. Right. So they decided to change it. Well, the di- that was the director then. The director okay. just had lots of you know pointy sticks and things. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but essentially, <laughs> I just thought it was too much 
for, for, the, for the budget of the film as well, it's just a little bit, why are we doing this? But China love 3D. So, um, yeah, so number five in the box yeah it, did, it did all right. Yeah, I'm not complaining. Yeah. yeah. But it was, a, it was a great experience. And then we got Scott and we got Dolph, uh, you know, Dolph Lundgren. Fantastic. I mean, Dolph Lundgren is such a wonderful guy. He's a really wonderful guy. I've yeah. heard he's wonderful in yeah. real life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a gentleman. I mean, I remember, so, I remember the call saying, yeah, we got Dolph Lundgren. And I'm thinking, hang on, Dolph Lundgren, he's supposed to be a scientist. It's Dolph. It's like, and then reading up that, he's got this kind of chemical engineering certificate from Caltech. And <laughs> the guy's incredibly smart. And you suddenly realize hell he's he is a nice guy so that was just a, a wonderful kind of you know process it was just a fun thing to do and how did you find writing it i mean in terms of there's quite a bit of action in there how do you find writing that side as well <laughs> not to look at me but i'm a bit of an action junkie in the sense i yeah i go through jungles around the world i love all that side of things mm-hmm. you know go snorkeling scuba diving love all that and i'd been in the jungle so i knew what the characters were facing okay in a way mm. <laughs> so it was very easy for me to write right do you, do you find generally writing is easy for you does it do you get writers blocked oh, do you have no I don't, I don't get writers but i find it very easy however most of it is crap so you've got to really think when you're on a roll this is so good mm. uh, it's probably like you know 80 90 crap and then you've got to rewrite or throw away or jettison but i don't hit writer's block because i've developed i guess in my own mind a technique where i can't work on one project i've got five or six projects on the go and the moment i can feel the creeping loom of writer's block approaching i will just naturally kind of run out of enthusiasm and just jump onto the next project Got you. right that that'll happen next one i'm on project three and by the time it happens again i'll go back to project one and your mind will just solve those problems for you and it'll suddenly be fresh again and you don't hit writer's block so i kind of slow down a little bit yes and then hop across projects but it, it, it that way i get you know four or five projects done in the space of just sitting down for one I do staring the, at the screen i do the same yeah. i find it it just makes sense to just because there's nothing worse than getting stuck on a scene yeah and in fact sometimes i'll just plow through it yeah i'll just go do you know what this is dreadful but i'm just gonna write to yeah, the end absolutely and i mean even scene. even if i big action scene yeah. something blows up and then move on move to the on. next scene which is the one you actually wanted to write yes you, you can always go back you but can go back sitting there banging your head against mm. the table so counterproductive and so depressing that you shouldn't do it i mean the moment you've got writer's block stop and write something completely different. Stop your vampire love story. Mm-hmm. Go away and write a cowboy action comedy. Yep. And it will really give you a, a mental freedom. That's great. That's great advice. Really nice. Um, all right, let's talk about Crowhurst. I wrote it. I was like, hell, yeah, I want yeah, to do this. It's fantastic. And again, I would never have got this previously because it's not a horror film. It's a, it's a true story. It's a psychological story. It's a thrill in some aspects. But, you know, it's not a horror movie, so why the hell would I get this? But I'd worked with the producers before, and I'd done a variety of different genres, so he trusted me with it. And we went out, and it was great. We we had a huge budget, we were ready to go, and the original director kind of dropped out. Uh, he was going to be a... It was an A-list star who was going to direct. And that was a bit unfortunate. At that point, the uh, Colin Firth project which is called the mercy exactly the same story you wait around for 50 years 50th anniversary next year uh-huh. no films about it and there's going to be two uh colin firth once suddenly got pushed forward with james marsh colin firth so right. of course we were blown out the water but we still had some of the investment 
So we badgered, me and the producer badgered the, uh, the finance guys, and they went, well, if you can do it for a lower budget, much lower budget, let's do it. Now, Simon Rumley had already been involved from the higher budget right through. And Simon, as a director. Or, as a director. Yeah. And he knew that there was, there was a bigger fish waiting to put, you know, Simon passionately wanted to do it. And Simon's just got such a great quirky eye. He's, you know, unbelievable what he, he can pull off. And we said, obviously, you know, Simon can do this in his sleep. You know, he likes script. What, what, what are we waiting for? Mm-hmm. So we actually shot the thing. We went off, we shot it. We, we traded the, uh, you know, the, the water tanks in Malta for the port of Bristol. Um, and we actually wrapped on the other project's first day of principal photography. And I remember being sent a local newspaper with a blurry kind of Bigfoot type picture of uh, our Crowhurst just in Salinger on top of the mast. And the headline was Colin Firth in Bristol. And we're thinking, no, he's not. Um, so anyway, so that's the whole story. So yeah, with a little underdog picture to the mighty one. Yeah, so that's that's uh, it's going to be out next year. Studio Canal are going to distribute it here, and they're also doing the Mercy as well, which is the Colin Firth one. And because they have their own little battle, they're well, they can have battle. their own little battle. But we were always the underdog anyway. But that was such a, a lovely story to write. So yeah, we're happy with it. It's great, and it was um, it was just a joyous story to sort of get involved with as well. Even though it's got the, it's a very dark story, but it's a joyous kind of, you know, British bulldog kind of spirit mm-hmm. mentality. Great. Let's talk about Supervised. The next film that will be after that one, right? It'll be coming out next summer. Uh, should be. Who, who knows with, with, with schedules? Steve Barron, Mike Bassett, English manager, but more importantly, Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles for of course. Jim Henson. I mean, more. Mm-hmm. And Steve is just, again, one of those lovely directors. I mean, he directed the famous Aha video with the animated rotoscoped hand. and, and wow. I, yeah, I didn't know that. I'm utter geek boy, so yeah, I'm in awe of Steve. He's just fantastic. Again, the, the premise of this, Supervised, is it's a retirement home for ex-superheroes. So it's grumpy old men, Marigold, best exotic Marigold Hotel, meets the Avengers. And it's done in a way that you think maybe these guys are slightly senile. It'd be like, hey, I can still do this. And they point at a water bottle, nothing would happen. Then halfway <laughs> through the scene, it'd inch across the table. And they become convinced that they need to go out on one last jolly. I'm not going to tell you too much more about that. And it was, again, such a different thing to write because this is, uh, you've, you've heard the kind of grey pound term. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's for the older viewers and incredibly difficult to cast because they wanted kind of 70-year-old plus. So we managed to get Tom Berenger, Bob Bridges, Lou mm-hmm. Gossett Jr., uh, Fenella Flanagan. Mm-hmm. And so we've got this wonderful cast you've also you've also got uh, fiona glasgow fiona Gla- yeah from, from from yeah but she's the young one yes uh, that's why i wasn't included yeah. in seven she's the young beautiful yeah uh, and girl. she's in the serial killer's guide to life is she yes. there you go there i didn't go. know that fantastic yeah, that's a nice little connection wonderful yeah. connection mm. brilliant so yeah and, and 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 of course she she she's the pretty young one compared mm-hmm. to all these 70 year olds it's just such a fun story i thought it'd never actually get made because it's just out there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that we've wrapped on it. It'll be at AFM, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But just to get that uh, kind of call going, yeah, Tom Berenge is doing this. It's kind of... My little geek boy from Liverpool was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is such good fun. It's great. It's great. Um, and how was the process on writing that? Did you get sent the idea? Did you... What happened? Well, the producer actually had an old photograph of a uh, photograph, an old painting, <laughs> photograph of Captain America and Superman. That <laughs> no, was a painting, a cartoon panel of these guys as old guys playing poker. He said, "I want to do that as a film." 
So that was the starting point. And then yeah. this whole idea, yeah, retirement home for superheroes could be really good fun. In this kind of, it's set now, we've kind of forgotten all the heroics in the past and mm-hmm. the world has moved on. It just became a very kind of poignant story about, you know, the way life used to be and, you know, you want to go out. The older you get, you want that one last chance to mm-hmm. show what you're made of. I mean, the original, one of the original drafts was bigger and brasher and too expensive. And then we just batted around the idea and molded it more to find the heart of the story as opposed to the, the overall you know, Avengers, we can blow everything up. Mm-hmm. We wanted the heart, which was just about these guys wanting one last act of redemption before it's too late. That made it a much better story. Do you find it easier to write characters like that? They're a little bit more, they're not as skilled, they're older. Most of my characters, and I've found this across everything I've done from, from the books, comics, right through to films, is I seem to favor underdogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably that's probably... You know, some kind of weird psychological problem I've got there. I'm trying to reflect myself on screen. But it's always kind of the person, uh, you know, the character who, who has to have the scrappy fight to achieve something. I always find them more interesting characters. And even when I've been given stories to do where the character's starting up at the top and then they, I try and get them down as fast as possible because being at the top is just not interesting. It's that climb up that's the fun of any story, I think. Yeah. Have you, have you ever had a problem where you, You've actually really struggled to write it. You've sort of gone, do you know what? Um, it's not for me. Has that happened? or is you- Yeah, I mean, there's some, some stories that have said, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And I've looked at and I've either known straight away that yeah, I don't really want to do that. Uh, or yeah, I've tried to give it a go. And I, I know that my kind of enthusiasm's not really been there and it shows. Mm-hmm. So sometimes then you get told, yeah, well, we'll look elsewhere. And you think, thank God. Mm-hmm. Um but again, it's a relationship business. So you want to tell somebody, look, you know, I can't quite do X, I'll do Y, but you're not looking for Y. And they'll go, okay. They'll probably come back to you and go, we've got a Y project now. Great. And okay. it's, it's again about your enthusiasm. Uh, I, I've worked repeatedly with a lot of um, producers rather than new producers every time. And you can sometimes, I've got writer friends who are fantastic but they go yeah i'm not working with that producer again and you think oh god you just know something has happened yes don't ask questions don't want to know okay um everyone's got a bad story about somebody but i don't really want to hear it anymore i've done all that yeah Um, and so i get a lot of repeat business i guess from from yeah you seem to have a good relationship with your producers you work with and like you say the repeat business i try to go out i mean there's another thing when you know Producers used up all their allocated drafts, mm-hmm. and then my agent knows he's going to get the call or email from me going, I'm going to do a few more for, for free. And he's like, no, what are you doing? Yeah, stop um, but essentially, we know there's going to be a few more tweaks. The producers can't afford, so it's what? They're going to get somebody else, but they're, they're going to struggle because they've got no money. Mm. Or I'll just do it, and we'll get the film made. So I kind of favor that attitude where, look, we're doing this as a team. You've paid up. We've done you know three drafts, six polishes, whatever it's going to be. You need two more. We know this, and we'll just keep on chipping and chipping and chipping. And then the budget comes in, and you realize, oh, God, we've got to chip away even more. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got that more relaxed attitude, if you're looking at the, the counter like, like a taxi, thinking, oh, this is rolling over, then people don't like to work with you. If you just go back and say, okay, I'll do a few more. I want this to be made just as much as you do. That's a different. That's a whole different relationship and a different ball game. Do you find sometimes that agents can potentially get in the way of that and 
push back rather than the writer doing it? No, not not my representation. I've got manager and states and agent here, and they're fantastic, and mm. they kind of know how I work. With other clients, they might be a little bit more hardball, but because mm. they know the way I work, they're kind of fine with that because they know I'm not going to come back and bitch to them about something because it's all my fault. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no, I've ne- I, may, maybe a little bit of resistance early on, but not nothing terrible. Okay. Has there been a point where you just you've, you've got an amazing project, you've written it, it's your idea, you, you've got to that point, and you really want to make it, and you've given it to your producers, and they're sort of gone the people you know, and they've gone no, it's not for us, it's not for us. Um, has that happened for all you the time. all yeah. the time? I mean, come on, what? that's that's ninety five percent of the business. So uh, anyone who says they've never had that and never had rejection, they're lying because they want to make them look good. Okay. Anyone who says this is my debut novel is lying because they've written a whole bunch of other things they couldn't sell. Right, it's, it's the it's, debut one that came out. It's the debut one that yeah. came out, but yes. it's so it's better better for me to say this is the first thing I've ever written rather than the tenth thing I couldn't sell. Sure. Which one's the better sell? So. Yes. Um, it happens all the time to everybody. Uh, I mean, I, I, I remember, again, I'm not going to say who, but I, I've been asked to rewrite some, a, I'm not A-list, but I've been asked to rewrite A-list writers on some things. And I've looked at, I think, how I love these films have done. Mm. And I'm reading this piece of shit they've written. And I'm wondering how this can't be the same person. Do you think that, that sometimes they just did it for a paid gig or whatever and just wrote it and just went, yeah, whatever. Particularly two, two people I have in mind don't really need the paid gig. So right. it really beggars belief why the drafts were so bad. However, mm-hmm. it happens to everyone. And that's the reassuring part. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to write Laura Duff's and they'll never get anywhere. But it's, so you think it's, let's say you think this project's really good. You've written it, you're, and everyone's saying no. But you know there's life in there. You know this could be amazing. What do you do? Do you keep going? Do you rewrite? Do you change things? Or do you let things go? I, I, oh, I let things go. Because, oh, again, okay. I've got friends who, who get hang on to stuff. Hang yeah. on. Rewrite, 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 rewrite. And it's awful. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to say to them, look, you, you've just spent two years of your life rewriting something that nobody wanted two years ago, and it's in a worse shape than it was. And yeah. then you've not got that friend anymore. Uh, so that's problematic. So I just let go. Well, one, one interesting project, I guess, or interesting from my point of view, mm-hmm. I had sold it several times. And we'd had two different really good directors on, uh, one of which was uh, Toby Hooper, mm. who passed away recently. Yeah. Great. We were ready to go. There was finance. And then it always came to the director going, well, I just want to change one more thing, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And it suddenly wasn't the film that the director liked in the first place. The producers didn't like in the first place. Mm-hmm. And the financiers didn't, you know, they, they liked the project original. A. Yes. And we could tweak it up to E, and that's fine. But we're on Z now. The director's gone, let's set her in space. And it's, you know, an underground epic or something. And I got the rights back repeatedly. So in this particular one, everybody, I mean, I mean, as a sample, it's got me so much work, and everyone really likes it. So I went back to it, tweaked it a bit, and I'm setting her up the long, long Sandy process as my directorial debut. Wow. But I'm not going to let that one go. Okay. I might have to when I don't get it made, but you know, I'm now I'm not going to submit it. Uh, I know I've sold it twice and got it back. I know I could sell it again yes, if if I yeah. suddenly needed to, you know, pay yeah. for something, but I don't want to. And everyone I've have had producers ask for the script. It's like, yeah, 
I want a director. And like, no, first time directors. Go away. There's the door. So it depends. And I've got other projects that are just sitting on the hard drive, biding the time, and or they'll just die. Or I'll just go in, steal the scene. And, and put it in another thing. Yeah. And sometimes rewriting and rewriting can ruin something, like you've just said. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you can overkill it. There, there is a certain extent mm. to, to, you know, there's only so much plastic surgery you can have before you start looking like a freak. So... It applies to scripts. You can only do so much rewriting before it's a different animal. And generally that animal is a piece of shit uh-huh. because you've written all the good things out. You've over explained or you've tried to be oblique. And mm. so you've got to have, you've got to find your own cutoff point when that project is dead. And no matter how much you love it, it's nobody else cares. And it'll never, you know, you can't have a passion project that the rest of the world's not interested in directing so this is something you've wanted to do for a while i'm a writer of course of course you've like, i want to direct myself because it'll be stupid because there must be nothing worse than when the directors come show in show me a ruined. writer anywhere in the world who doesn't want to direct yeah i have been told uh by numerous producers that i write in a very visual style and in a weird way because of my style it's as if i was producing verbal you know verbal storyboards or you know what i mean yeah, it's, yeah. They, they can actually see it a little bit clearer you never put camera moves in your scripts oh, occasionally. occasionally all okay. these rules are all bollocks all of them you know don't right. put camera moves in there no, i want to start the scene with a close-up i don't care what the director wants mm. it starts with a close-up okay i'll put it in there well because it's hard not to write close otherwise you're just writing a man's eyes yeah. or a hand comes I, in. all of that is rubbish never write the inner thoughts of a character it's mm. like well the actor needs to know Needs something. To know something. Yeah. So all these rules are all bullshit. Oh, you, you, you're like, do you know? Oh, what? they're all real. the three act structure. I mean, come on. I, yeah. My personal opinion is, you know, Sid Field wrote that book and then killed the screenwriting business, right. uh, or, or rather, the storytelling. <laughs> storytelling. Business, yeah. Yes. Screenwriting business went boffo. Yeah. Sold lots of uh, lots of books. But it's all rubbish. Mm. I mean, it is all rubbish because yeah. they're all based on other scripts where they haven't sat down and gone, this is my midpoint. Of course, no, they yeah. haven't done that. I know. And it's if just you do that, in a gut instinct. Exactly. And it becomes really formulaic. You're like, this is the point this should happen. Whereas actually, if you just write yeah. something that's interesting, you can tweak I'm it a, a bit. I'm a huge but... Lethal Weapon fan. I remember watching mm. Lethal Weapon 4 yeah. and it was written so to the second. I remember looking at my watch going, oh God, we're reaching Here the midpoint in two minutes and then bing and thinking, that's it. This, the, the, that story structure has killed the business. Right. So I don't, I don't kind of believe in any of any okay. of that stuff. It's rubbish. If I, like I say, if I want a wide shot, I'm going to write a wide shot, and it's it's actually kind of integral to the, the way you're going to tell the story. If if you want to show this lone figure in a desert, don't just put lone figure. It doesn't spring off the page. You know, you've got to say ultra wide, or you you've got to use those terms and and use that direction because fine, the director can change it on the day. Who cares? The director's not directing your script. He's directing a shooting script further down. Your script has yes, to sell. That's true. It has to paint the image in everyone who's financing it, who wants to star in it, who you have to paint the image for the director to come aboard. Yeah, great advice. I think I, I'm, I'm the same. I feel sometimes you get boxed in with structure, mm. whereas actually it can be totally free. You yeah. do write what you want and then come back and Absolutely. tweak if you need. Yeah. Great. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love you to have that that conversation with Quentin Tarantino. He probably slapped me around the face and go, "Structure, structures he, for losers." He can, but, but he's got a very good point in I, that case. Yeah, <laughs> listen, this has been an absolute pleasure. This has been a real joy. Thank you so much for so much knowledge and information and all your worldly. Worldly, worldly. Wow. <laughs> I stroke um, my big grey beard when you say I that. I was trying so to find <laughs> a adjective. Um, Crap. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> My worldly crap that I've imparted to you and your listeners. And your, all your worldly joy <laughs> you've given us. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Ed, where can we follow you? I'm at A Briggs Writer because there's some other Andy Briggs posts and has me out there on Twitter. My website, andybriggs.co.uk. You can just jump on there and everything, Twitter and everything. And you do blogs as well, and there's all sorts yeah, of Yeah, well, all my blogs are on there. Well, I kind of mainly yeah. then sort of tweet lots, re- yeah. relentlessly tweet things. So Perfect. So do follow me. him and, and do tweet him. Um, yeah, yeah. He might me, tweet yeah, you back. Ask me anything. Why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? You can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson, and you can follow The Dare at The Dare Movie. Do go onto iTunes. Do give us a little review uh, and a five-star rating. Whatever rating you want, but five stars is a good, it's a good rating to have. Um, thank you very much, Andy. This has been brilliant. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Bye.